doing pretty well, thank you. I'm doing pretty well. Today, we are going to conclude our study in Ecclesiastes. We're going to cover the last two chapters. If you go ahead and open your Bibles, turn to chapter 11. Right, This has been a, a crazy journey as we have tried to follow this preacher king for the last 10 chapters. He's been wrestling with the, the question that every single person asks once, twice, a thousand times in their life. Is this worth it? Right? What does this life mean? What is the point? And as we know, as he began his studies, he started to look at life under the sun. We did not get off to a good start. Right? He does not have good things to say. He says, man, the, the monotony of life is meaningless. Right? The, the limit of wisdom is useless. The, the futility of worldly wealth, like you could gain all this wealth and guess what? It don't matter. And the certainty of death. So no matter what happens, how good, all the good stuff you have, guess what? In the end, you're going to die. And that's what he is looking at. That's what he is studying. And he's just about to, to slap the table and say, hey, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all useless. Life is nothing but a mist. It's like that breath that you have on a cold morning that you, you see it for a second and then it's gone. It didn't accomplish anything. It didn't mean anything. And nobody really remembers it in just a few years. It is completely forgotten. He's saying that's our life. It's pointless. But before he can close the book on this theory, before he can say, hey, this, this idea that life is all vanity, he starts to realize that his conclusion, right, is limited. It's limited to wisdom. It's, it's limited to his observations. It's limited to his experiences under the sun. Even in his premise that life under the sun is vanity, he acknowledges that he has a limited perspective. He acknowledges that his perspective, all the things that he has talked about, are all from the perspective of under the sun. Right? He does not take or include the wisdom from God's perspective. Right? Of God who is above the sun, God who is outside of his creation, God who is looking down on his creation, and he realizes that's a problem. Right? He, that, that's kind of important when we're asking the question, is life meaningful? And towards the end of his book, he, he tries to understand life from God's perspective, and we see that everything changes. Right? Life is not boring. Right? It's filled with challenges that help us grow as we go through life. We learn that man's wisdom is folly, but God's wisdom is life-giving. We learn that wealth is not meant for us to display our greatness, to display our glory, but instead the wealth is used to distribute the grace of God. And abundant eternal life is found in this life when we realize God's glory. And so he challenges his reader. Here as we conclude, he's going to put out two big challenges to his reader. And he's going to want you to understand that there is so much more than life than we can find under the sun. And to begin to understand that meaning, the first thing we're going to have to do is fear God. We're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to realize that God is God of everything, and that He is sovereign, that He's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and that He loves us. And then the other thing He wants us to know is that life is a gift, and that we waste it pursuing useless things. When the reality is that the abundant life is only found when we look beyond the sun, when we look to the heavens, when we look to the king upon his throne, and we follow his design for creation. 
As he brings this book to a close, he summarizes these two key points in one final effort to remove our eyes and our focus from ourselves and from the things of this world and to look to the one who not only gives us life, but to the one who gives meaning to our lives. So as we begin to read, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to start in chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Listen to this. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Verse 5, it says, As, pay attention, you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of the woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So church, when we look at these first few verses, when we look at this passage, he gives us this illustrations of one of these conclusions, that there is so much more to life than what we see under the sun. And if you guys have noticed, the, the key phrase in this passage is, for you do not know. Four times in these verses, he says, you do not know. And church, it doesn't take long to realize that there's a whole lot we don't know in life. There is a whole lot we don't know. And in this illustration, the first one he uses is merchants. And they would send their products out on ships and they would receive a good return. They would make money. That's how they made their money. Without knowing exactly how this works, they would send their products to invest in several ships. They don't know which ship's going to sink. They don't know which ship is going to steal their money. They don't know exactly what ships are going to return with their money. And when you start to think about it, honestly, the deck is stacked against the merchant. But he does it, and we see in this illustration, we see in this times, he, he gains. He's successful from this time. So we know not exactly how that happens. Then the second illustration is about farming. Like how and what seeds will grow. And if you've ever tried to plant a garden, you know that's a mystery. Right? You could do everything perfect, and that seed isn't going to grow. The, we were building a garden in our backyard. We, Max planted radishes. And we did this whole row of radishes. And we got like two. And then like two or three weeks later, I was walking in the backyard, and we have a pile of rocks near our hose, which is not in the gardening box, and there was a big old radish there growing out of the hose area. Not sure how that happened. Right? And then the third illustration is about how life is formed in the womb. Okay? Another illustration. I was having the birds and the bees talk with my oldest son. And we're talking about how this goes. You know how uncomfortable that is. And the most uncomfortable spot is when you're done and you say, okay, son, do you have any questions? My heart kind of stopped for a little bit. And he started asking me all these scientific questions like, well, how does this form? And how do the cells form? And how do they create a person? I don't know, man. Go ask your mom. She's the science professional. Like I just had, I just had this little area I was supposed to cover, right? That was my job. Now it's your mom's turn. She's science. She knows all that stuff. Right, but how, how does that happen? How does that work? That's a mystery. We don't know how that works. 
And that's his point, is that there's so much to life that we might think we understand, but really we don't understand. We don't know. He says that four times. You don't know. And it's actually this lack of understanding that makes us frustrated in life. It makes us angry in life. Sometimes it leads us to to criticize God, maybe even change God's character. When things don't go the, the way that we think they should, we start to change who God is in our minds, right? We, we might say things like this, if God knew blank, he would not have blank. You, you fill in those blanks, right? We, we might say, if God could have, he would have blank. You fill in those blanks, right? Maybe, maybe if God loved me, he would have, and you fill in those blanks, We've all, we've all said one of these at least once in our life, probably once a day or once a week. We say something like this when God does something we don't understand. But here's the truth that we know about God. Here's the truth we know about God's character is that he is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. God did know, right? God does know. We also know that God can. God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He has control of everything thing your heart beats at his command and it will stop when he says stop but we also know that God is love we know that God loves you we know that God loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you right what we don't know is what God's plan is sometimes but that doesn't change God's character that just displays our limited knowledge and our limited understanding Right, we're, we're just like the, the exiles in Babylon. Right? We, we take things that God says and we make them fit our understanding. We make them fit our timeline. If you remember, there's the, the Israels were in Babylon, the exiles. Some had been sent back to Jerusalem, but some were still there. And they said, well, God promised he was going to release us. God promised he was going to send us home, and we're ready to go back home. So here's what we're going to do, God. Since you're not working on our timeline, we're going to tell our prophets what to prophesize. And they're going to start saying, hey, everybody get ready to leave. God's going to leave you. And they, they started their commands off with, thus says the Lord. The problem is the Lord didn't say that. Right? The problem was that, that wasn't the Lord's plan. He had a better plan for the exiles. He had a better plan actually for all of Babylon and that nation. So he sends Jeremiah to tell the people what God's actual plan for them was. Right? What, what Jeremiah shared with them 2,800 years ago is still used to provide believers today hope when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives. Right? We try to make this a, a feel-good passage, but the, the reality of it is who this was delivered to were people that were struggling. They were going through a tough time. They were, they were confused. They were frustrated with God. And if you remember this, you will know this. When Jeremiah, he says this, For thus says the Lord, because the Lord did say it. That's important. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a hope for you. God has a plan for you. It's one of good. It's not of evil. It's one that's filled with hope. And even when we can't make sense of that plan right now, even when it doesn't feel good right now, even when the, the, the hopelessness is all we can see, God has a plan for you. And at the end of the matter, right, at the the end of time when all is revealed and we know everything and all has been written, guess what we will learn? That we can trust God. 
that we can depend on God, that God has a better plan for our lives than anything we could think of on our own. The truth is, when it's all been heard, when it's all been written, when we know that we will ever know, we know everything that we will ever know under the sun, guess how much we know? Squat. Right? We don't know much at all. There's so much that I don't know. There are so many questions I have. There are, there are so many sorrows in my heart that I can't wait to say, hey, what happened here? There are, are so many things I can't wait to understand. But until then, we have two options. We can trust ourselves. We can trust our limited knowledge. We can trust our lack of understanding. We can trust our lying hearts. And we can just say, hey, nothing matters. This is all meaningless and our life is nothing but a vapor and none of this matters. Or we can trust God. Right? We can trust his love for us. We can trust that he has a plan for us, one to help us, one not for evil, but one that is good. And we can trust that his plans for our life are greater than what we planned. We can trust that his plans for our life are better than anything we could think of. We could trust that he has a future for us that is filled with hope and a future that is filled with joy. King Solomon reminds us in his Proverbs, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Church, here's what we know is that God has big plans for us. He wants to use his power through you to do great things. He has a plan for your life that will last for all of eternity. Things that he has planned for your life long, long ago, he has already planned them. There's so much more to life than what we see under the sun. God has greater plans than what we can even fathom or understand. So church, don't grow faint of heart. Don't grow weary of doing good. Don't become frustrated. Don't become angry. Don't become confused. Don't believe the lie that your life doesn't matter. God has a plan for you, and God will use you. That's the first point that he makes, is that there's so much that we don't know under the sun, but God has a plan for you. This second thing he talks about is that life is a gift, and we shouldn't waste it by chasing only the things that are found under the sun. In the following passage, the preacher gives two warnings to our youth. I'm going to say youth are people younger than you. Right? First, he tells them to enjoy the present, but he says, right, enjoy your youth, but be careful. Right, if we pick up in verse 7 of chapter 11, he says, Life is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Hey, youth, enjoy being youth. Enjoy being young. This is a time of enjoyment. You don't have bills? Hallelujah? Right? You think you have responsibility, but you don't have responsibility. You got to like get up on time, right? Maybe do dishes or take out the trash. Enjoy that, right? School, you get to hang out with your friends all day, right? You just get to hang out, 
have a good time, learn to read and write, go to P.E., my kids can't tell me anything they did, but they know what they did first recess, second recess, third recess, and after school. My, my, my youngest son, he wants to go to school at 7 because he wants to hang out with his friends, and he wants to stay as late as we can leave him. He wants to hang out with his friends. Enjoy it, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy being a youth. Do you remember all the first that you had when you were a young person? Do you remember your first day of school? If you played sports, do you remember your first tournament that you guys won? You're like, hey, this is what it feels like to win. Maybe you remember your first band performance. The first time you spent the night at a friend's house, right? You stayed all up all night till like 10 o'clock. It was beautiful, right? You had these big plans. Enjoy it while you use because when you get older and you fall asleep at your friend's house, they draw on your face, I hear. I just hear that. I don't know that. You remember the, the first time your heart skipped a beat when you saw that special someone, right? You saw that somebody and you're like, wait a minute, cooties aren't all that bad. You remember that, Right? Youth, don't, don't let the drama spoil your youth. Don't let it, this, the crazy nonsense world, don't let that spoil your youth, man. Enjoy it. Don't let youth's transitionary nature, right, cause you to miss out on enjoying your youth years. Don't always be thinking, oh, man, I wish I had a car. Oh, man, I wish I was in college. Oh, man, I wish I had a job. Oh, man, I wish I was in college. Stop it. Right? Soon enough, you will be there, and then you will, you will know exactly what the term that the, the youth is wasted on the young means. Right? If you're a youth, man, enjoy being young. Enjoy it. Right? The, the preacher king warns the youth, hey, enjoy it, but be wise in your actions. Right? Being young doesn't give you, give you the license to be an idiot. It doesn't say you can be stupid. You can enjoy it. You can have fun. But don't be stupid. Right? And when, when you're wise, the opposite of stupid is when you set your heart and your mind on God. And you're pursuing God and you're trying to follow his commands. I, I don't like doing this. I only like making fun of my kids. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Sometimes it feels like you're bragging, but I had nothing to do with this. This is all him by himself. But I want to tell you a little story about Max. Max is, is the happiest kid that I know. He is always happy. I know he's happy because he's always talking. My mom told me that means you're happy. Right? So Max is happy. He loves to read his Bible, but he doesn't just love to read it. He loves to understand what it means. And he's always asking these really good questions. Dad, what is this? mean sometimes it's like the birds and the bees talk i don't know go ask your mom right but he wants to know okay well how does this affect my actions how does this affect what i do in life and it was just a a couple days ago see every everybody loves max he's that he has all these friends everybody at school and the other day he was telling me about this kid that he was having these problems with and he said i really i really don't like this guy this guy at school it's really tough and so we're kind of talking through that and then I go to his basketball game on Thursday, and he's playing basketball. And after the game, he, he comes over because it's time to leave, and he's got this friend with him. And he introduces me to him. He says, hey, Dad, this is so-and-so. And so I shake his hand. Hey, it's nice to meet you. And as we're walking away, I say, hey, Max, wasn't that that kid you were just telling me about the other day? And he said, yeah. And I said, hey, you guys are friends now. That's great. And Max looks at me and says, well, we're supposed to love our enemies, so I'm trying to do that. And I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to use this illustration in my sermon. And he said, I don't know, it's really hard, Dad. <laughs> it's really hard. It, sometimes it is, right? But this, this young man, this 10-year-old, is reading the Bible and saying, okay, this is what the Bible says, then let's do it. Let's figure out how to do it. Man, I hate when God uses my kids to convict me, right? <laughs> it is not fun, and, but I think there's a, a correlation between Max's joy 
and his desire to follow God's commands. I think he has found something there, and I don't think he was looking for joy. I think he was looking for Jesus, and he found joy. And when we look at Scripture, that's what Jesus has been telling us our whole lives. You guys got all this junk, and you're pursuing all this useless stuff. Come follow me. Come follow my commands, and you will have joy, and you will have peace. And the second warning that he gives to youth is you won't be young forever. Don't waste it. Right? You're, you're not going to be young forever. Don't regret the things that you did or didn't do. Let's go ahead and let's look at chapter 12. Right? We're going to begin in chapter 12, uh, verse 1. And he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I love this. This author is talking about the evil days. Those are your older years. Right? He says, those days are evil. That's kind of funny because we don't like calling ourselves old. We don't like being elderly because that term has come to have like a, a negative connotation in our culture. NPR reports this, that the preferred phase for the study for old people is elderly or older adults. And then right after that said, or you can just call them by their names. That is, that is true, Right? Just call them by their names. It makes sense. Let's just say this for this study. The, the Psalms say we typically get 70 years or 80 years if we're strong. So let's use 70 and 80. Um, that's what we're going to go with because it's biblical. Right? So 70 or 80. And now starting in verse 2, this author uses these metaphors that describe what the, the body experiences as it gets old. Elderly. Or insert your name. Verse 2 says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You're starting to lose your sight. And in the day when the, the keepers of the house tremble, talking about your hands, you're starting to get tremors. And the strong men are bent, right? Our, our, our back, we're starting to arch over a little bit. And the grinders cease because they are few. We start to lose our teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of the the song are brought low. We start to lose our hearing. And some even say that what he's saying here with the birds is it's hard to sleep at night. So at the first time we hear the birds, we're like, okay, time to get up and go because I haven't slept all night anyway. Right? They're, they're also, they are afraid also of what is high. It's talking about their stability, and they, they start to fall over. They start to, to, to lean a little bit. And the terrors are in the way. And we can see that sometimes uh, we're just a little bit slower, more careful when we move when we get older. The almond tree blossoms. The hair turns gray. The grasshopper drags itself along. We start to walk slow. And desire fails. Our, our sexual drive comes down. Because man is going to his uh, eternal home, or we're on that way to going home. And the mourners go about the streets, right? He's saying, my friends are all dying. Oh, gosh, I forgot who I was talking to. What was the worst part about getting old? They said, I don't have any more friends. That's the, the bad, that's what they said. The, the worst part about growing old or being the oldest of your friends is soon you don't have any friends. And then before, verse uh, 6, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the, the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Great. 
he's getting old, I just start thinking about my own death. Right, that's what this guy is talking about. Hey, if you don't know this yet, getting old ain't for the weak. Hey, you gotta be tough. Man, I, I was telling Melissa, I was in the Marines, I played rugby, I like thinking of myself as a tough guy, and then I started getting old, and I said, I don't like this at all. This is hard. This is difficult. Right, and as the preacher proclaims, man, this is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's talking about getting older. And church, before we go any further, I just want to take one time out right here. The notion that aging is a negative process is a misguided thought. This is not true. It's not a negative process. It's not a negative anything. Proverbs tells us the gray hair is a crown of glory and it is gained in a righteous life. Church, the longer we live, the greater perspective that God blesses us with. Exponential knowledge increases, right? As we go through life, we get to see God doing wonderful things where faith in God grows. We get to see God's glory and His grace and experience His mercy. And that just increases over time as we navigate through life, as we experience joys and triumphs and trials and tribulations. Like there's a lot of people that say, hey, I'm in a small group, I'm in a community group. I want it to be people that are in the same stage as me. Not me. Man, I want older people. I want the whole spectrum because guess what? They got a lot of wisdom. Man, they are smart people. They, they are a precious gem to our culture. The real tragedy is when older people think that they have to act young to be relevant, that they have to act like kids in almost every culture in the world. Right? The elders, the older are gems, the foundation of the culture. They're wise and they're respected. And time with them is to be treasured. Right? My, my kids' favorite things to do are to sit with their grandparents and say, tell me about when you were young. Tell me about how you did this. I think I've shared with you before, my father-in-law has a Bible, and in the back of it, he writes down everything that God's doing in his life. It's got all these notes in it. This is sad, but he has four daughters, and they're already fighting over who gets that Bible when he's gone. Right? They want to know dad's story. They want to remember God's work in their life. They want to hear those stories. The other day I was driving with Sailor. We were driving out to a church and she looked at me and she said, hey dad, we, we were stuck in traffic. We weren't driving, we were sitting there. And she says, hey dad, tell me a story about when you were young. Tell me a story from your childhood. Man, we are wasting a most valuable resource that this church or this community or this country has. Man, it's an older generation you are to be examples of god's faithfulness and grace and mercy the world and the church is looking for examples of someone who is mature and responsible who's grateful for what god has done in their life who can model what obedience to christ looks like who can say hey let me tell you that's a bad idea right this is a good idea let me tell you how god will honor and how god will bless this Right, and as our bodies begin to fall apart, some of us because of our youthful days and our minds start to slip, mostly because of the youth these days, we can still be an illustration of what it looks like to be a person who follows God, to be a person who loves God, to be a person who, who can display God's faithfulness. Right, we don't want to live not in what was Back then, we don't want to live in the, the hope of yesterday, but we want to live in the hope of, 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 of knowing what is to come, of the, the future that is to come. If you believe that your best life is right now, if you believe that your best life was 20, 30, or 40 years ago, that's heresy. 
Right? You don't know Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, being in the presence of God, is better than anything that you've ever done or anything that you're doing now. If you're still living in the past, I want to introduce you to Jesus and have you live in the future that is coming. I want to encourage our older adults to be godly examples to our younger generation. God knows we need godly mentors in the life of our youth and the young right now. You are absolutely invaluable to not only the life, but the discipleship process of young people in this church, young people in this community, and young people in your families. Take advantage of that. Invest in the lives of the youth around you. They need to hear and they need to see about God's work. They don't just need to see people that are fighting the inevitable, people that are upset that maybe their hearing is gone. What does that say about our trust in God when we're saying this is horrible and nothing good is coming now? What does it say to to our youth when we say, oh, this is horrible, I want to be back to what you were like. So youth are like, oh, this is the best I got? This This is the best of life? No, no. There's so much, so much more to that. And as we, as the youth look at the older generation, sometimes all they see is what's described in this passage. Sometimes that's, that's all they see is this failing body and the elderly, and, and they make this big disconnect. And that's what these verses describe, the declining strength of specific parts of our body. But if you've lived any length of time, then you're like me, and as, as you hear this, you go, man, I remember when, like my father, my father was always a big, imposing, physical man. And right before he died, he wasn't. Right? And, I, and, and I just remember him as a strong man, but other people that only knew him later in life, that's not how they remember him. It's always struck me in my life when I was growing up to see World War II veterans. In my lifetime, they were old and gray. They, they walked slow. Much of them looked like the, the, the description that this preacher gave. Some were even confined to wheelchairs, and others moved slow. Some of them you know in this, own, this church. Some of you know Bill Lasseter, right? Bill Lasseter was in this church, this man right here. Some of you, some of you that are older adults right now, he taught you how to drive, right? And when we think of Bill, this is what we think of. Man, this is a hero of mine. In his 20s, he charged the beaches of Okinawa with a 60-pound pack on his back, running through waist-deep water as mortars and artillery are falling around, jumping over guys that didn't make it, grabbing other guys and dragging them up on the, the beach who had slipped. Right? This guy was a superhuman. This guy was in his, in his prime. He was an elderly man. This is what they made comic books about. And when we see them, we need to, to be careful. Right, we, need, we need to be careful. I don't know if you guys remember this a couple years ago. There's a World War II vet who was getting on the bus. A couple years ago. He was old. I think he was in his 80s. And a guy ran by and tried to snatch his bag, and he turned around and beat the guy. He just beat him up. Right, youth? This old generation, don't let them fool you. He probably beat him, and then he went home and worked on the field for a couple hours. Right? There's something special about this generation. There's something special about the older generation. But here's the point. Here's what the preacher is trying to tell you, young man. It's going to happen to you. Right? This is going to happen to you. It happens to everyone. Some of you are starting to question that, but Brady proved us right. Right? It happens to everybody. 
Not even Brady can play forever. But here's what he's trying to tell you is you have a time window, right? You have a limited time. That time is short. And don't waste your youth seeking the vanities of this world. Seek God in the days of your youth. It'd be foolish for those of us who identify ourselves as followers of Christ to gaze upon the future and be sad and disappointed, right? To think that this is our best life. It is to fully dismiss the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. The author is just simply telling the, the youth here at this point that, that time magnifies the impact of our sin, right? It has, it has sin on our fellowship with God and the subsequent ministry. It impacts what we have for his kingdom. Be wise. Like, you got a short window. Be wise what you do in your youth. For if we sow seeds of righteousness, our, our harvest will be bountiful. But if we sow seeds of foolishness, our harvest will be barren. And he's telling this youth that. Perhaps that's why the psalmist declares, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Church, we, we must be focused on following his commands. We must be focused on bearing good fruit regardless of our age, of how old we are, how young we are. Right? As, as young people, we say, oh, that's something for the older people. Right? We see the swell in church. Guess who that comes from? Right? The, the college kids leave the church. They go and have families, and now they're like, oh, now I'm ready to come back to church. And they come back to church, and the, the, the author's saying, don't do that. Right? In your youth, you need to pursue God. You need to keep following God. Life is a gift, and we need to appreciate all the days that God has given us. And we can increase the quality and the meaning of our life by pursuing the things of Christ. Not pursuing the things that will be eaten by moss or that will perish or that will be thrown into fire. But we need to pursue the one thing that will last for all of eternity, and that is Christ. And so as the author is finishing this, where does it all end? We're going to look at verse 9 as the preacher concludes this book. He says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. And as we conclude with this passage, it appears that this author is using the language from Ezekiel. Right? The, the reference to one shepherd serves as the anticipation of the coming king, of the one shepherd that was going to come from the line of David. And the New Testament, the Gospel of John, identifies him as Jesus. Right? This is Jesus, Jesus that called himself the one shepherd. Jesus called himself the, the good shepherd. Jesus called himself the, the shepherd that would lay down his life for his sheep. 
And here it is. This is the whole book. This is what it points us to. The one who is above the sun. The one shepherd who is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ. This is where this whole book takes us. From the cradle to the cross, Jesus walked the way of wisdom. Right? He denied himself and he submitted to the wise will of his father. He endured a humiliating death so that in his suffering, he might become for us the very wisdom of God. Through him, right, through the work that he did, through the life that he lived, through the, the death that he died, through him, we can come to an understanding and a knowledge of God. God is not unknowable. God desires to be known, and in our sin and our losses, we couldn't do it, so he sent his son Jesus, and now God can be known. And life is meaningful now because Christ has reconciled us to the creator of life and gives us the ability to be wise gives us the ability to know God, gives us the the beginning of understanding is to fear God. And through Jesus, we saw the word. Through Jesus, we were able to see God, and now we can understand God through Jesus. It's the joy of the present life. We talk about this abundant life. The joy of the present life now depends on the security of our future life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, guess what? You're secure. Hey, nobody can snatch you out of his hand. He didn't make a mistake. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Once you are his, you are his forever, and the security of your future is locked up. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then you know your sins have already been judged. You know your sins have already been nailed to the cross. You know your future looks bright. right? You know your future is good. You know your future is secure. And guess what happens in your present life now? You get to experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about because you know your eternity is is secured now and forever. But as the preacher king argues throughout this entire book, if you don't know God, right? If you don't know Jesus, then you will suffer with the, the fools, right? You will suffer with the foolish, not just here on this earth, not just under the sun, but you will suffer with them for all of eternity, And the author teaches us that we we may not be able to know or understand everything under the sun. We can know God, right? We can know Jesus, and it is through him we can receive life through Jesus. It's through him that we can be satisfied. It is only through him that we can be satisfied. And just as Jeremiah told the exiles in Babylon, when we call upon him, Right, he will hear us, and when we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. Man, if you don't know Jesus, I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're old. You want to call upon Jesus, we want to, we want to do that with you. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you say, I want to trust Jesus for the first time, I want to give my life to him, I'm, I'm understanding for the first time what the, the gospel means and what it means to fear God, man, we would love to, to pray with you. And I want to invite you up as I close that you would come up here and that we'd get to celebrate us. If you don't want to do that, just put it on a connection card. I'm going to give my life to Christ. We have hard cards. We've got cards on phones, electronic cards, all sorts of things. Right? Or just see us out there and say, hey, I, I want to give my life to Christ. And we would love to pray and we would love to celebrate that with you. And as we go back to the original question, is life worth living? Yes. 
right? Yes, if you are truly alive through faith in Jesus Christ. It is 100% worth it. If you trust him and you keep his commands and you are now living that abundant life now and your future is unimaginable. How, how awesome is that? If you know Jesus, you can say, this would be the best thing in the world. This is going to be the best time. And God looks at that and says, that's trash. It's going to be better than that. Right? That is the joy and the meaning of life when we find Jesus Christ. If you have not, as I said before, if you have not, we would love to pray with you. If you have given your life to Christ and you want to get baptized, we'd love to do that and participate in the celebration of baptism with you. And you can, again, put that on the card. Or you can come see me or you can see anybody in this church. We'll figure it out. Man, we love you guys, and we love Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, and we would just pray that as we go through struggles in life, as we go through the hard times, as we go through the things we don't understand, and we see things on TV we don't understand, we see things in our community we, we don't understand, when we begin to question our own life, Lord, we pray that you would bring us back to Ecclesiastes that you would bring us back to our lack of understanding under the sun and you would give us the, the future hope that comes with knowing your son. Lord, that you would help us to understand that you have a plan for us. We pray that your love would, would reveal itself to us in our hearts when we begin to question, Lord, and we pray that those thoughts and those questions and those things that anger and frustrate us would just become vapors and be gone tomorrow. It wouldn't be a burden to our heart, Lord, but that our heart would pursue you and focus on you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And all the church said, amen.